because he first loved us. If you have a Bible, please open with me today to the book of Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2 this morning. As this year draws to a close, we're going to end where we began, and that is with Moses. Moses, without a doubt, is the greatest political leader to have ever lived. God used Moses to bring two million people out of bondage, out of slavery, and to deliver them to freedom. Now, he gave us two documents that have changed the world. He penned the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's called the Pentateuch, and the Jewish people, they call it the, they call it the Torah. So if you hear Jews talk about the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible. The second document that he gave us are the Ten Commandments. Uh, Keiston France says, No document has changed the world for the better, as did the Ten Commandments. Western civilization was greatly influenced by this document, which in turn has given us human rights, women's equality, ended slavery, and created democracy. Imagine... Imagine a society, imagine a community where there is no murder, there is no adultery, there is no stealing. And so the closer that citizens of a nation follow the Ten Commandments, the greater the peace, the greater the tranquility will exist in that nation. Our second president, John Adams, he said, We recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. He also said, I will insist that the Hebrews have done more to civilize men through the law of Moses than any other nation. Powerful statements. We continue. We continue as a society to, to reap the benefits of Moses' influence upon the world. Now, Moses experienced God's power many times in his life. When he, when he first met God at the burning bush, uh, God God showed his power to him, and then he goes to, to Pharaoh, and he, he brings the ten plagues upon Egypt, and then he takes his shepherd's staff and holds it up. It's the rod of God, and he parts the Red Sea, and they, they are delivered to freedom, and then the Egyptian army is killed by that same Red Sea. Moses even experienced the benefits of God's sovereignty when he was a baby and he didn't even know it and today we will see once again that like Moses even when we don't know it the sovereignty of God is ruling over our lives so would you please stand with me as I read from Exodus chapter 2 we're going to actually begin at the last verse of chapter 1 Exodus 1 and speaking of the Hebrew people the Jewish people the Bible says, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son, every son of the Jews that is born, ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him for him an ark of the bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags 
by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew and brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she, Pharaoh's daughter, said, or called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful story where we see the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the fingerprints of God all over it. Now, I pray you'll give us wisdom and understanding to see the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, the fingerprints of God over our lives. Lord, we know that you're working in a thousand ways in us and around us that we don't even know about. Help us to understand what you are doing. I pray now for each person here who is a Christian that we would would surrender and be a part of the flow and the work of God in this world, in this church, in our lives. I pray there be some that they're just not convinced, they have not received the Lord Jesus as their Savior if they're here or watching online. Lord, as we just sang, may you give them spiritual sight, understanding. May they come to know you and be born again into your family. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have a quote from Charles Spurgeon called The Prince of Preachers from 150 years ago. This is what he said about God's sovereignty. If you have notes, you can follow along. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials, they believe, God's children believe, that the sovereignty has ordained their afflictions and that sovereignty overrules them. For it is God upon the throne whom we trust. So so what is God's providence? Well, let's take the word and let's divide it in two. Pro, before, vidence, vision. God has vision. God sees ahead. He sees ahead things that we cannot see. We can't see 10 seconds from now, 10 minutes from now. We can't see 10 months from now, 10 years from now, but God can. God sees it all. And as he sees it all, he makes provision for us from above. He sees what's ahead, and he provides for us for what's coming. Another way we could look at it is you take the word providence and make it provide ence. Uh, God provides for us for what he knows is coming. That is, he's orchestrating circumstances uh, to fulfill his purpose. That's true in our life, and that's true in the world. So I'd like us to see today 
Five women that changed the world. Five women that changed the world. You say, how? How did they do it? By saving the life of a baby named Moses. I want everyone to know that God wants us to obey him. Uh, obey him in the big things. Obey him in the little things. And when we do that, we will discover in time that God is working in a sovereign way in your life. We pick up the story in Exodus chapter 1. When a new king came to the throne that did not know Joseph, Exodus 1.8. Now, it's been a, a little over 300 years, and the little clan of 70 Jewish people have now, have now grown to a great, mighty number. And the new pharaoh looks at the, 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 the numbers of the Jewish people and decides they are a national security threat. I have to do something about it. And so he takes several steps to control their population. Step one, he makes them slaves, verses 11 to 14. He makes their lives bitter with hard bondage. They serve with rigor. That didn't do the job. And so the next step, we need to reduce the number of these slaves, these Jews. And so I give an order to kill the baby boys when they are born. Verses 15 to 16, it went out to the midwives. There could have been hundreds of midwives. The order is, if it's a girl, let it live. If it's a boy, put it to death. That's called male infanticide. It's a horrible law, a horrible law. The midwives are to carry out the edict. Here we meet the first two women that changed the world. Look with me, Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shiphrah, and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. If it's a daughter, then ye, uh, she shall live. Shiphrah and Puah, Egyptian midwives. They have Egyptian names. They are Egyptian slaves. They're managers over a large network of midwives. And these ladies quietly defy the government mandate, and they say, no, we won't do it. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the men, children alive. They risked their lives. They're Egyptian, but they're risking their lives to save the baby boys. They feared God more than they feared the king and what the king could do to them. Now, midwives are typically single women. Uh, God blessed them because of this decision. We see that in verse 20. Therefore, God dealt with the midwives and the people. He dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty came to pass because the midwives fear God that he made them houses. That is, they got married and they had children of their own. You know, so it is today. When the word of the king, when the word of the government contradicts the word of God, we ought to obey God rather than what? Than men. Acts 5, 29. So these two women, unknown to you until now, Shifra and Puah, knew in their hearts that the law was wrong. How did they know that the law was wrong? The Bible had not yet been written. Here's how. God writes upon our hearts. It's called our conscience. Romans 2, 14 to 15, that the taking of the life of another is wrong. 
It's wrong. And so they knew that, and they said, we won't do it. We'll risk our lives rather than to take the lives of these babies. They knew that human life is sacred and to be protected. Today, the most helpless among us are what? The unborn. God's plan was for the Jews to become a nation, and no law, no king, no edict by Pharaoh is going to stop God's plan. So Pharaoh makes a new law. And now we see the sovereignty of God kick into high gear. Here's the new law, chapter 1, verse 22. Not just the midwives, but he says he charged all his people, all his people, every son that is born shall be cast into the river, into the Nile River. Why would, why would people go along with such a, 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 an ungodly and unrighteous law? Well, the Nile River was considered a sacred river, and some may have thought that it was like a sacrifice to the false god to the river by offering these babies. You know that killing babies to a false god, it was common in ancient times. It was even common in the, in the days of Israel uh, with the Canaanites. Killing babies was common in ancient times. Killing babies for convenience has become common practice in America since Roe versus Wade. There have been 62 million abortions since 1973. 62 million. 79% of planned parenthood abortion facilities are within walking distance of neighborhoods with higher minority populations. That's the worst kind of racism that exists in our country today. Planned Parenthood is the most racist organization in America today. Why? Because they want to go after minority children. But like these midwives, we stand for life. This edict seems to be given after the birth of Aaron. Aaron is Moses' older brother by three years. This edict may not have lasted long because we know that about 80 years later, there's how many Jewish men? 600,000 Jewish men when Moses leads them out. So Pharaoh, he failed. He failed in wiping out. He failed in even reducing the number of the Jewish population. Hitler failed. Iran, who has declared that they will wipe Israel off the map, Iran will fail. Lesson number one, God's sovereignty overrules kings, overrules rulers, and laws until the Lord returns there's always going to be evil rulers there's always going to be evil laws and we're to shine our light we're to cast our vote we're to make our voices heard but there's just going to be times we can't do anything except appeal to God and pray to God lesson number two we are in a spiritual battle against spiritual forces the kingdom of God is opposed to the kingdom of Satan Last Sunday, we saw who wins the battle, the battle of Armageddon. Who wins? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. He just speaks, and the battle is over, and the blood flows to the height of four feet in the valley of Megiddo. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, Satan is determined to take life. And today, in parts of the world, he targets babies of an undesired gender to be killed in the womb or as soon as they come out. Many cultures today value male children over female. 
Satan is whispering in their ears of those who take life. That's why they need Christ. That's why we need to send missionaries. Lesson number three. If Satan's plan had succeeded, God's plan of salvation would have been aborted. God used these midwives as part of his salvation story to bring Jesus Christ, who was a Jew, into the world. God wants, today, he wants to use you and I to bring the name of Jesus and the message of salvation into the world. And so we're a part of the same battle, the same struggle that happened 3,000 years ago. These two ladies, very courageous to stand against evil. Who are they? They're Egyptian, they're slaves. God used them to save the Jewish baby boys from death. God is building his kingdom today through the expansion of his church. And many times, many times the church has become stronger through the time of persecution. Do you think the church of Jesus Christ, both here and around the world, has been in a time of persecution in these last 18 months? What do you think? Certainly. Now the question is, is our church stronger than it was 18 months ago? The question is, are you stronger and closer to God today than you were 18 months ago? Five women, five women that changed the world. Number three is Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed already had two children. Their oldest was a daughter named Miriam, and their second child was, what was his name? That was Aaron. Chapter 2, verse 1. There went a man out of the house of Levi. He took to him a wife, a daughter of Levi. That's Amram and Jochebed. Have you ever heard people say, well, I don't think we should have children, or I don't think we should have more children because the world is so bad, the world is so evil. That is a very unbiblical way of thinking. God wants us to have children so that we can introduce them to him, and they in turn declare his glory and salvation with others. Aren't you glad that Amram and Jochebed didn't sit down at the dinner table and say, hey, did you see the news today? Man, I was watching Fox News, I was watching CNN, I was watching MSNBC, but I can only stand that about three seconds. And, and, and uh, they said there's a new law. Everybody in Egypt is being told that if there's a baby Jewish boy that they're to take it and throw it into the Nile River. Amram and Jochebed say, well, you know, if we have another child... There's a 50% chance it'll be a girl. There's a 50% chance it'll be a boy. But if it's a boy, there's a 100% chance that he will be in danger. Honey, let's pray what we should do. They prayed. They decided. God wants us to have another child. And we're so glad that they did exactly that. The evil king and the evil law did not stop them from having another child. In many circles today, it is politically incorrect to have children or to have more than one child. Lesson number four, God's people courageously go against the flow of the worldly culture. We are not to be ruled by fear, but by faith. Yes, it can be scary to think about our children and our grandchildren's future, no, they are not going to live in a society dominated by Judeo-Christian beliefs. It's just not going to happen. 
If you didn't notice, you live on the mission field. You didn't move, but the mission field came to you. Paganism has come to you. Can't you hear some of the neighbors saying, hey, hey, you already have two kids. You shouldn't have a third child because there's that new law. And, and, and we know that there's overpopulation and, and we're trying to reduce the population of the Jews. It's here as well. An article appeared in the New York Times entitled, America's Greatest Necessity, Mothers. The article in the New York Times laments low birth rates among American women. It explains the reason for this malady. Quote, maternity has become most unfashionable. The causes are many and easily enumerated, but who will suggest a remedy and save the great American nation from utter annihilation? Why the low birth rates? Because she wants to preserve her looks. How not to have children seem to be the chief thoughts of women nowadays. Did I mention the New York Times article ran in 1869? <laughs> Worldly thinking is not new. It's been around a long time, 3,000 years ago, 100 years ago, and it's today. God's people courageously go against the flow of the worldly culture. We go against what they call politically correct. Lesson number five, God's people are determined to teach their kids God's truth. We need as many people as possible speaking God's truth into the hearts and minds of our kids from toddlers and children and teenagers and singles, church, pastors, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, Christian school teachers, Christian movies, Christian music, Christian podcasts. We're never going to silence the unrighteous voices of the world, but we can counteract those messages with truth because truth is stronger than lies. Light is stronger than darkness, and we keep giving out the truth. So what did Amram and Jochebed do? They did two things. They hid baby Moses for three months. Verse 2. The woman conceived, she bare a son. He's a goodly child. She hid him for three months. She looked at her precious baby and said, I can't throw him in the Nile River. I won't throw him in the Nile River. I, I, I can't do it. Now there are officials. They're looking for the pregnant Jewish women. And they want to calculate when they have a baby. They want to check up and follow up if it's a baby boy or not. Hebrews 11.23 says the parents saw that he was a proper child. That's a beautiful baby. But more importantly, Acts 7.20, God saw that he was a beautiful, precious baby in his sight. We all, we all should be pro-life because God is pro-life. Just ask, just like the midwives, Jochebed, she fears God more than the king. Now I want to read you a verse from Hebrews and I want this attitude to get in your heart. Hebrews eleven twenty three, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They're not afraid. They're not living in fear. They're not anxious. They're not worried. Amram and Jochebed were ruled by faith and not by fear. Freedom from fear does not mean that Pharaoh's edicts don't, don't happen. It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. 
Some baby boys did die, die in the Nile. King Herod did kill the babies of Bethlehem. Just because it's a dangerous world does not mean that we need to be in fear. What else do they do? Well, they hid him in a tiny boat in the bulrushes. Verse 3. And when she could no longer hide him. Well, why is that? Because, uh, you know, newborns like to sleep a lot, right? Uh, but uh, just a few months into it, what gets bigger? Their lungs get bigger. They get noisier. They get louder. There's a reason the nursery of the church is not in the auditorium. Even though we have speakers, I will lose. I will lose. You will hear the babies screaming louder than me. And so Moses is, he's crying. He's making a lot of noise. And so they can't keep him hidden in their small house. You talk about their faith. She makes a waterproof basket. She puts it in the reeds, the bulrushes, the high grass in the Nile by the riverbank. What a story. The basket or the ark, it's the same word used in Genesis 6 of the ark that Noah and his family went into. Just as God watched over Noah and his family in that big ark, so God watched over this little baby in this little tiny ark there in the Nile River. Were there other God-fearing mothers whose babies were drowned in the Nile? No doubt. This is where we trust God in his sovereign plan, even when it hurts. Now, we know the outcome. Did Jochebed know the outcome? No. So think about it. She makes the little basket. She takes it into the bathtub. She tests it, makes sure it's waterproof. She puts her baby in, and she takes him, and she puts him out in the river. And she has her daughter afar off watching. Do you think she thought that there could be some dangers that would happen to her baby? What are some of the dangers that could happen to her baby all alone in the little basket in the Nile? What could happen? What are some dangers? What's that? Right, the, the thing could tip over, he could drown. That's a danger. What else? This is the Nile River. What else could happen? Crocodiles. Crocodiles. This is Egypt. This is hot. What else could happen when you're in the sun? Sunstroke. Sunstroke, crocodiles, drowning. Sounds like going to Florida. Okay, you snowbirds, be careful when you go down there. He could be discovered. If he's discovered by an Egyptian soldier, what's going to happen to him? He's going to be killed. He's going to be drowned. Uh, he, could, he could starve. Lots of bad things could happen. If she did not keep her mind on God and his promises, she would have driven herself crazy with fear. Moms, I know some of you. I know some of you. You stay awake at night. You're worrying about your kids. Learn a lesson from Jochebed. Do everything you possibly can do, but ultimately you leave your children in God's hands. They're going to go through dangers. They're going to go through trials. They're going to go through hardships. You know, as we learned in our parenting class on Wednesday night, God let you go through hardships. He let you go through trials. And those things that he let you go through helped you to become the person you are today. 
You are stronger. You have more moral courage and character because of the difficulties you went through. Why in the world would you try and protect and shield your kids from all the hardships that God used to help you to become a better person? Parenting classes, 715, Wednesday night. Join us. Join us in lower level 6 and 7. Five women that changed the world. Number four is Miriam. Verse four. And his sister stood afar off to see what would happen to him. She's probably somewhere between seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years of age. We find a, a big sister who is alert, a big sister who is watchful. She is responsible. She is a firstborn with firstborn traits. Responsible. Uh, here, Miriam is the caretaker. Uh, we'll see how, how God is going to use her. But first, let me introduce to you the fifth woman that changed the world, and it is Pharaoh's daughter. Yes, Pharaoh's daughter, verse 5. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. When she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. None other than the princess of Egypt herself comes down to the river. Why? To take a bath. And yes, the daughter of the one who issued the order to drown the baby boys in the Nile. I, I like you to, in your Bible, when you see the providence of God, I want you to put a capital P for providence beside it. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe. Providence or coincidence, which is it? Providence, capital P. The Nile's a big river. It's a big river. Uh, and she came to the exact spot. She came to the exact time where Moses was. We don't know if the basket that Moses was in, if it stayed in one place. We don't know if a current carried it and brought it, but somehow the two intersected together at the right moment, at the right time. We call it providence. She sends her maidens to fetch it. Verse 6. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe, the babe wept. God knew the exact moment to make sure that baby, baby Moses cried to win the heart of this lady. She melted. God turned the heart of a princess to have compassion on him. She realizes he is a Hebrew. Do you think? Do you think she knows her dad's decree to kill the baby Jewish boys? If you think so, would you raise your hand? Do you think she knew the decree? Yes, you may put your hands down because chapter 1, verse 22 says, Pharaoh charged all his people, well, certainly that includes the people in the palace, and that would include his own daughter. So she knows the decree, what dad has said, and yet what does she do? She decides to go against, against her own father's decree and to be able to spare the baby. She says, I will not kill him. I will save him alive. Guess who shows up? Miriam. Miriam, verse 7. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrews? Yes, yes, go get her. And she brings the mother. Verse 9, Pharaoh's daughter says to Jochebed, Moses' mom, Take this child away, nurse it for me. I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. 
Yes, Pharaoh's daughter is going to pay Jacobed to take care of her own baby. That's a capital P. That's, a cap- that's providence. Did you ever think, where did the princess get her money to be able to pay the nanny of the baby? Where do most teenage girls get their money today? Dad, right? From dad. Okay, he gets a double capital P here. So Pharaoh, who gave the decree, put him in slavery, killed him at birth, and he says, everyone, throw these babies in the river. Pharaoh, who gave that decree, he's the one paying out of his own pocket to his daughter to pay Moses' mom to take care of him. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. This plot is better than anything Hollywood could come up with. Pharaoh doesn't even know it that he is financing this. There's no human chance that Moses' life could be spared, much less be paid for to be taken care of apart from the providence of God. So Jochebed cared for him three, maybe four years. And during that time, she sang lullabies. During that time, she taught him about his Jewish heritage, about his God. Now, notice Moses' name. Do you know who named Moses? It wasn't his mom, and it wasn't his dad. Verse 10. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called, she, the Pharaoh's daughter, called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of water. Did you know that Moses is an Egyptian name? given by an Egyptian princess. And the word literally means drawn out. It means taken out. Why? Because he was taken out of the the Nile. This is really cool. I want you to think about this. The same water that was intended to kill Moses is the same water that ended up being his salvation, the place of his rescue. The name is also a prophetic name. Because 80 years later, he's going to come back and Moses is going to draw out 2 million Jewish people out of Egypt from slavery to freedom. Do you see the providence of God? Moses is rescued from the river by Pharaoh's own daughter. He grows up under the protection of the one who threatened his life. Pharaoh had ordered all the baby boys to be drowned, but in Exodus 14, it is Pharaoh's own army that is drowned in the Red Sea. God really is in charge. Heaven really does rule. You may be worried about what's going on in the world. Don't be. Uh, You may have fear and anxiety. Don't need to be. God is orchestrating the events of these days for his appearing. God may work in your children's lives in ways that are different than you might expect, than that you might have planned. I mean, who would have expected that the daughter of the tyrant would be the one to save Moses from her own father's decree? We just need to let God write the script for our lives and our kids and our grandkids. So Moses grows up to be a great man of God, a deliverer, a lawgiver, a leader, a servant. Moses changed the world as we know it even today, but he would have never made it without these five women. And so as Paul Harvey says, and now you know 
the rest of the story. These women quietly changed the course of history. You don't have to have biological children of your own to have a role in sharing God's good news of salvation and preserving life. We as a church family, you gave an offering today. A portion of that goes to support the the Genesis uh, Pregnancy Crisis, Crisis Center. God used a single woman. God used a pagan princess. God used a a, a little girl and a mom and a dad to save Moses. You know, Satan is just as committed today to destroy God's church as he was committed to destroy the Jewish people. And we need to be more committed to God, to his truth, to his church than ever before. You may not like every decision that the church or the school or the preschool makes, but that's okay. It's okay. Because we can set aside some things because there's a greater mission of what God is doing in us and through us, as he did this week, to save so many people. We can work together to advance God's message, his kingdom. God's providence has allowed you to hear the gospel. What is his message? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so for all of us that are here today, there was a time you heard the word of God, you heard the gospel message, and you were saved. There is someone here today, and maybe you have not yet made that decision to receive him. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have a choice. God is not going to make you follow him and come to heaven. He invites you. He does not invade. So I invite you today, believe on Christ, trust in him, be born into his family, be a part of what God is doing in people's lives, and you can be saved. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the message and the story of Moses and the providence of God. Now I pray you would calm the hearts of moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that we would not fear even as they did not fear because our faith is in you. I thank you for each one here today who is born again, and I pray that we will do our part in spreading the good news of Christ to others. And now, Lord, I I ask you to draw people to yourself. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You'd say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I hope I would. I have doubts. I ask you this question today. If you were to die today, do you know for certain that heaven's your home, or do you have doubt? If you have doubt, if you don't lack assurance, God brought you here for this moment. If you're watching online, we invite you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to make a commitment. You have to have a humble heart to ask God to forgive your sins. Would you do that now? Would you pray with me now? You can pray silently. God will hear the prayer of your heart. It must be sincere. It must be genuine and earnest. Pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for me and rose again. I ask you to become my Lord and Savior. Please come into my heart now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you'd say, Pastor, I just prayed with you and I meant it. 
I want to welcome you to the family of God. And I want to pray for you. Heads about, eyes are closed as we show respect to our neighbor. Would you simply raise your hand? If you just prayed with me to receive Christ, would you slip your hand up for a moment, hold it up high, and say, yes, Pastor, I pray with you today. God bless you. Anyone else, hold it up high for a moment. Anyone else, thank you. You may put your hand down. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, I pray for these now who have turned their heart to you. Fill them with your peace. May they understand that this forgiveness is complete and total and they're part of your family forever. May they grow in faith to become more like Christ. Heads about, eyes are closed as I speak to the Christians. This is largely a Christian congregation. I want to ask you, are you willing to be able to take a step of, of surrender to the Lord Jesus, to be a part of what he is doing, to, to replace the fear, the worry, the anxiety, and to be like Jochebed, to be like the midwives, to be like Miriam, and ask God to take the fear, the worry, the anxiousness away from you and replace it with faith and peace. God offers it to you today. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. You say, Pastor, it's a wicked world. It was more wicked then than it is now. God gave them peace. He will give you peace, Mom, Dad, grandparents. You need to let God have his way. As Pastor Matt sings this invitation song, we invite you to respond. You do business with God. Let him have his way in your life. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, thou art the potter, I am the clay, mold me and make me. After thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Our Father, we do surrender ourselves to you. We thank you that you are at work in our lives, our family, our church family, our country. We want to be a part of what you're doing, building up what you're building, reaching and expanding the, the kingdom of God to the hearts and lives of others. Lord, keep us close to you, I pray in Jesus' name. That's great. Well, let's real quickly, I didn't get all that far last week, but that's okay. Uh, just uh, uh, if you have your hand out here, we'll just quickly review. Uh, it's a series on uh, gems from Jeremiah, those spiritual truths. Now, again, it's not just in Jeremiah, but those spiritual truths that uh, really help and encourage us uh, in our walk with the Lord uh, here and now. And then, of course, uh, we think of uh, being eternally with the Lord. And uh, they're just such a blessing to know these truths that help us in our lives, encourage us, challenge us, convict us, and strengthen us. And... Uh, 
uh, last week, if you noticed real quickly, in way of review, Jeremiah 16, we'll, we'll look at that, and we'll be reading a portion of that. But uh, we look at, it's God and you. Folks, the most important relationship in our lives is our relationship with God. And it's so wonderful that you and I can know the God of this universe, the God, the creator, the almighty God. The, uh, we can know him personally, have that personal relationship with God. And uh, it's through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, un, it's just so, so amazing, so wonderful. And uh, it is the most important relationship in our lives is our relationship with God. Uh, and then I love how Jeremiah, remember we, we found the Jeremiah prophet in the, the, the southern kingdom, Syria, as more or less 100, 120 years before captured or whatever, the ten tribes in the north, Israel, the nation. But then Judah, the Babylon, so he's talking about the judgment that God's going to use Babylon to uh, judge uh, Israel, uh, excuse me, judge uh, the southern kingdom, Judah. But we notice over and over again how uh, that Jeremiah has dialogue with God. He talks to God. He talks to God. He has dialogue with God. And that's really vital to maintain, we have our relationship. We're going to look at the, uh, you know, obviously all the time we look at that relationship with God, but to maintain that fellowship. How do I maintain that closeness with God? You know, draw nigh to God, he'll draw close to us. Draw nigh to God. And, uh, and Jeremiah says, O Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. And uh, we see from this, and we'll see tonight as we review and then continue, once surrender to God's will will produce God's blessing upon others as well as oneself. And really, as we saw last week, the Christian life is one of surrender. When we get saved, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we surrender it all to him. We believe, we trust, we repent, and we turn to God from our sin. We turn to him and say, Lord, I can't save myself. I can't get to heaven by my, myself, by my own works, only through your sons. Dying for my sin, you accepted that, and being raised from the grave. And I ask him into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior. And so uh, let's look at now and, and just real quickly and uh, look, one more review emphasis is in the next page that Jeremiah himself, okay, was <clears throat> what the Lord required of Jeremiah himself was he was not to marry. Okay, we found he, he was not to enter the house of mourning, but also he was not to enter the house of feasting. You know, God asked his spokesman in the past uh, some the sort of odd things. It was sad because we found out that, that, that most, most of us don't have the gift of being alone. Some, some do. I don't know too many men that have the gift. Well, quite frankly. But, but, but in other words, he said, no, you're not the marriage. You're not going to house of mourning. You're not going to house of feasting. And uh, uh, how, like, uh, how unusual but you know, it's not really unusual when you look at some of the prophets, the spokesmen of God, like Hosea. He, he was to marry a prostitute, and he was to name his children unloved or unmerciful and not my people. Ezekiel was, 
uh, told to make bread over a fire of human waste and uh, to lay on his left side for 390 days to, and not to mourn the death of his wife. And Isaiah was told to walk naked for three years. Now that's rather unusual. God's not going to ask any of us to do that. At least I hope not. <laughs> okay. uh, but, 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 but like what's going on here, you know? Well, God's trying to get their attention. What he's, he's using these signs to say, what's going on here, you know? And uh, he loves his people. He cares about it. Well, let's look now at Rome, uh, Romans. Jeremiah 16. And I'd like to read some of the verses of this portion of Scripture. And uh, two questions. Number one, why were the people of God being judged? Why were they being judged? And secondly, what's the answer? What's the answer? Why were they being judged, and what's the answer? Well, uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 16, verse 10. Would you follow with me? And then we'll skip and look at a couple other verses. And it came to pass, when thou shalt show this people all these words, and they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? And what is our iniquity, or what is our sin, that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then thou shalt say unto them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and kept, have not kept my law. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For, behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, at that they may not hearken unto me. Therefore will I cast you out of this land into a land that you know not. Neither ye your fathers, and there ye shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. And then, but notice in verse 19, what does Jeremiah do? He says, O Lord, that's our, sort of our theme verse, O Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in the day of in the day of affliction he looks to the Lord the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say surely our fathers have inherited lies and vanity and things there wherein there is no profit shall a man make gods unto himself and they are no gods therefore behold I will this once cause them to know I will cause them to know my hand and my might, that, and they shall know my name is the Lord. Now, I'd like to skip down here in chapter 17. Not sure how far we'll get on all this, but notice. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like a heath, like a, a, a bush there in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabit it. Blessed, or happy in other words, is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. What's he going to be like? For he shall be as a tree planted up 
by the waters, that thou spreadest out her roots and rivers, and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Okay, let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Lord, we thank you so much for your precious word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Please help us, Lord God, individually especially, to, to hide in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Lord, we need it first in our minds to know what it says, and then, Lord, your, your power, your spirit, your grace, your strength, your help, help us to live it. Thank you for all these dear people tonight that have taken the time, effort, and energy to honor you as they prayed with and for each other. Thank you, Lord, for our WANA program as we seek to teach children the Bible and about the Lord Jesus. Thank you for all the Bible studies, all the discipleships that's going on now. Thank you for the parenting series, and we pray your blessing on all the ministries tonight. Bless our time now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just real quickly here, also in way of review, if you notice back up on page two, uh, where uh, we found what was the application, okay, that we need to completely yield ourselves to God. And one of the best analogies that God gives us, the comparison is as, as, as being a soldier. In other words, being a soldier, okay? Uh, Paul writes this to Timothy, that he is to, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man, he says this, no man worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, you can't be double-minded. Double-minded man is unstable in what? All his ways. Not just some of his ways, not just a few ways. No, he has to be focused. He has to be centered on his purpose. He has to be centered on his mission. And our mission individually as families and as a local church is to glorify God, fulfill the Great Commission. Remember we said about disciples, disciples, we're not, and we want to see people saved. That's the beginning of discipleship. But a disciple is a learner and follower of Christ. That is the purpose of every single ministry. When I teach my little Sunday school class, uh, it's called New East, called Next Steps. We change the to new beginnings of informational about what VFBT believes and why we believe it. I, I emphasize the, the importance that all of our ministries, our Sunday school ministries, our Awana ministry, our RU ministry, what's our whole purpose? We want to honor God and we want to fulfill the Great Commission. That is making learners and disciples, uh, learners and followers of Jesus Christ. That is disciples. That's our whole purpose. Okay, And one of the ways we do that is we endure hardness as a good soldier. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It, it, hardness is the idea of sufferings, troubles, afflictions. Notice it doesn't say endure hardness as a mediocre soldier, does it? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say mediocre soldier. It says what? A good soldier. In other words, and this word means excellent, surpassing, useful, commendable, admirable. We should do our best for God. 
Now, not in and of our own strength, we realize. But really, we, we should do our best. We should strive for excellency in that by God's grace, by God's help. Now, thank, thank the Lord. We just celebrated on Sunday, the Veterans Day, all right? And that was wonderful. That was great. Thank you, all those uh, uh, men and women that served in our armed forces. We enjoy this freedom even tonight because you were willing to give up your several years. Maybe some of you were career people. I don't know. But most weren't. But at least three, two, three, four years. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, we're unbelievably blessed because of your commitment. But here, guess what? We're all in God's army. If we're a child of God, we are in God's army. We are in God's army. And uh, I'm, thinking, uh, uh, I'm thinking that if some of you, if you join the army or the navy or something, say, well, if you were in the Korean uh, era uh, or World War II, well, Sir, I'll go anywhere, but not Germany and not Japan. I don't think you'd last too long. <laughs> you know? What do you mean? <laughs> or, I don't want to go to Korea. Well, I don't want to go to Vietnam. How many of you remember uh, uh, the advertisement, jo uh, join the Navy, see the world? All right, Paul, you remember, right? Join the Navy. Well, my, bro my older brother did. He joined the Navy, and he saw the world. He joined the Navy twice. He went all around the world. I'm not kidding you. He went to Spain. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he went to Spain. He went to Australia, okay? He went to the Philippines, okay? And it was wonderful, except the only thing is he spent nine months off the coast of North Vietnam. Other than that, it was great. Other than that, it was, I'm sure he said, well, I'll go. Uh, all right. But, but in other words, you can't. In other words, you, you, in fact, my brother said, I remember him. I was a 12-year-old. He's 19. Came home from Norfolk, Virginia. And I said, Jimmy, I said, why do you wear those long shirts all the time? You, uh, you know? And uh, I don't know how long they've been having sunscreen. Now they have sunscreen. He says, well, you know, if I get sunburned, I can get course marshaled, as we told me. Anybody remember that? Okay. If I get, okay, you remember, you can get, sun, you get court marshaled, you get sunburned, okay? And, and I said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you get court marshaled? He says, oh, because I'm government property, and I can't damage government property. <laughs> okay. So you're not your own. You're bought with a price, right? We are in God's army. We're in God's army. So let's charge onward here. So the reason, this is sad, the reason, notice with me please, 10 and 11, the reason God brought judgment on Israel. Here it is. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words that they shall say unto you, wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil upon, against us? Excuse me. Or what is our iniquity? What have we, what have we done wrong? What's, what's so bad? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then thou shalt say unto them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law, and have not kept my law. And then, <clears throat> uh, uh, continuing on that, I'll include verses 12 and 13 for the sake of time. And ye have done worse than your fathers, for behold, ye walked everyone after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. Therefore will I cast them out of this land into a land that ye know not, neither near your fathers, and they shall ye serve other gods day and night, where I 
will not show you favor. Very sad. It's because they rejected the word of God. The Bible says, have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bow down to them or serve them or worship them. And they said, we don't need God. We don't need the Lord. And says, God says, okay, you don't need me. I'll let you go. See what happens. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad. And you say, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. It had nothing to do with us today. Oh, oh, be careful of that. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians right now. 2 Corinthians. You know this passage so well. 2 Corinthians. You see, you and I are told to worship also the Lord God and Him only. Little, uh, what does John say in 1 John 5, 21? Children, keep, little, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Anything or anyone that comes between you and me and God is wrong. God it's just God and him alone. Okay, anything, anything, anyone that comes between us and God. And so in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul here is saying it's extremely important. He says, what does he say in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 18? And we can apply this in many, many ways. It corresponds unbelievable, this precious truth. Be not, where, what does he say in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18? And by the way, here he's quoting Isaiah 52, he's quoting Isaiah 43, he's quoting Hosea 1.10. He's building his case from the prophets, from the spokesmen of God's people from the Old Testament. He's building his case for the New Testament believers to be on guard. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part he hath believeth with an infidel? That word concord there is the word where we get symphony. Now, can you imagine combining classical music and heavy metal? I don't, think it would, I don't think it would work. I don't know. Maybe it would. I don't think it would work. I don't think it could bind classical music and heavy metal. Some of you know what I'm talking about, heavy metal. I mean, the younger people, what's that? Okay. I really wasn't into that. Okay. But you see what I'm saying? You can't do it. You can't combine it. You can't join it. Together. It doesn't work. It doesn't go together. It doesn't flow together. Okay? It doesn't agree. Okay? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, what's he say? What are we to do? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. In other words, we should separate from unbelief. You know, as we think of what happened in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, it, uh, believers were literally struggling to hold on to the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. They were literally struggling to hold on to the fundamental truths of the Bible, okay? We're the, uh, 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 some of those fundamentals, of course, we think of the Bible as the Word of God, okay? 
now you have to, you know, you have to have seven adjectives to describe, you know, infallible, inerrant, you know, it used to say inspired, it used to say the Bible's the Word of God. Well, it's inspired Word of God. Now it's inerrant, it's infallible. We have to all use all these adjectives because people like, oh yeah, I believe that, and they don't mean the same thing you and I do, okay? And then the deity and the virgin birth of Christ, the substitutionary atonement. At one moment, Jesus Christ, he purchased our, our, our pardon. It is finished. It is done at the cross of Calvary. Then the bodily resurrection. He rose in the same body in which he died, but as a glorified body. And then, of course, the second coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. So what we find here, you know, and, and uh, uh, my wife and I, we didn't grow up in uh, independent Baptist churches. We, we didn't grow up that. We grew up in mainline Protestant denominations, okay? Uh, and we grew up in, like, I, when I was a young a teenager, I wasn't trying to be a wise guy. But I asked our pastor, I said, we called him Reverend, you know, respect. So Reverend Carter, I said, why don't you, uh, why don't you preach the Bible? You know, I asked him that question. I was like 15. Why don't you preach the Bible? And he said, Ron, I don't preach the Bible because I'm a liberal. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. That's what he said. I mean, he was, that, I, I, you know, and I, no, I'm serious. I don't, and I'm not a real intellectual guy or something, but I said, oh, I guess that means he doesn't believe the Bible. And I said, what about the virgin birth of Christ? He says, oh, I don't believe in that. And I said, well, yeah, but at Christmas we read it from the response of reading. Oh, I, that's just tradi church tradition. And I said, well, what about the resurrection of Christ? He says, oh, I don't believe that. He, I, I said, yeah, but at Easter, that's what Easter's all about. You know, Jesus, you know we re read it in the Bible and stuff. He says, oh, that's just tra church tradition, but I don't really believe that. And I'm thinking, I don't know much. But <laughs> I said, I don't think that's right. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't. And, and so I thought, wow, what, what, you know, like, and, and, and uh, it's so sad. Uh, it was so sad. And, uh, and then my wife got saved, uh, and she went back to her pastor and her, her mainline denomination. And, and he said to you, I just talk about these things in my office, right? When you tell told about saved. I, I just talk about, I don't, I, don't, I don't talk about salvation from the pulpit. I just talk about it. Well, I don't think he really did talk about it in his office. But see what I'm saying? And unbelief, these, thi the, these things are real. People don't think these things are real. They are real. This is what people believe. Uh, um, so, but what's the answer? Stay in, infiltrate, be, you know? And, and let me say, there are, uh, I know there are believers that love the Lord and thank the Lord for them. I, nothing against them or anything like that. I don't agree with them staying in because, uh, you know, it's a compromise, okay? It's a compromise because, well, I'll stay in as long as they believe us. I'll stay in as long. But there's certain fundamentals of the faith and that what we call, mean by Bible-believing Christians, okay? There's certain truths that we have to hold on to. Yeah, we might disagree about, uh, like, uh, you know, how often we should have a Lord's Supper or something like that, you know? And some have it, uh, I mean, I know some believers do have it every week. I mean, a lot of times it's once a month or once every other month, something like that. But these are fundamental truths that we hold on to, and that is our fundamentals of our faith. Real quickly, would you please go to 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, to fit along with this. In other words, to keep ourselves separated from unbelief. And folks, the, the thing is true also, I have noticed that we have to be careful of. 
You know, I am so happy that we're an independent Baptist church. If we decide to build an educational wing, we decide to do that. There's no hierarchy, okay? We're not a denomination. We're not a convention. We're not a fellowship. We're not an association. We're independent. Now, we don't mean that in a prideful way, but if we wanted to build the educational wing, we do it. If we want to build an FLC, we decide to do it. No hierarchy is telling us to do it. If we want to build a, a gathering project to have more room for, for fellowship and more, more room to teach the Word of God in, in, in our classrooms and things like that, we, if we want to do that, we decide that. No hierarchies up there telling us to do this and that. No association is going to say, oh, you can only support the missionaries that the association supports. I used to be part of a church like that. I didn't know that. When I went, when I went to a convention that, and our, they don't call them delegates, they call them messengers, and we would go, and we didn't vote. We had no say on what the association voted on, what schools they would approve, what mission agencies they would approve. I thought, well, this doesn't sound right to me. And said, like, if I, I, John, John and Jay Doe, they, they were in the military. They love the Lord. They want to serve the Lord as missionaries. I would say, you know, Pastor, we're okay. We, we don't need a lot of money. I got my retirement. I want to serve the Lord on the mission field. Well, Lord bless you. I said, we'll support you, brother. Oh, 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 I can't. Because oh, uh, the association says, I, I, I only can support those of you who are approved by the association. That's the way they work. Again, it's always wanting control. They want to control you. They want to control you. I remember I was preaching for uh, Scott Shaw up in, in uh, Canada, and I don't know what it, I don't, I, maybe I'm too much of an American. I've got to be candid with you. You know, freedom is everybody's business. But uh, they said, what you mean, wait a minute, you can decide what you, you want to do in your local church? There's no hierarchy? I said, yeah, there's no, we, we, we're autonomous. We're independent, okay? And thank the Lord for that. And I believe that's what the Word of God. We work with other churches, especially in missions. We're not, you know, what do we have? 10, 12 missionaries of our own. We support 200 and what, 40 missionaries. We're working together with that. But they don't control us. We don't control them. You see what I'm saying? But notice what, we're, what are we to do in the last days. Here it is in 2 Timothy. Notice with me, please, Paul writing the 2 Timothy. Uh, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy, writing to Timothy, he says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous means very fierce times. It's used of the, of the Gadarene demoniac about how fierce he was. He says there's going to be very, in the last days, and as Pastor Wendell says, the last of the last days, the times are going to be very violent. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? Very violent, okay? That in the last days, perilous times shall come, dangerous times, troublesome times, fierce times. For what, and notice the description of how things are going to be. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Isn't it amazing? The very things that they call good now are evil, and the things that were evil now they call good. 
All right, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Oh yeah, we're Christians. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay, what are we to do? What does it say? From such what? Turn away. Turn away. And by the way, that's an imperative. In other words, continually be turning away from unbelief. That's what the Lord would have us to do. And so they, so we find here it's a rejection of the true God, and then sadly the rejection of the true God from himself, from himself. And real quickly, we just turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I just want to highlight these things. These are letters from the Apostle John to local churches. Two local churches, okay? And what we find here <clears throat> to these local churches that they're the messages. And by the way, they're not just the seven churches. It's not just, well, eat, only one letters for each church. No, it's for all the churches. We're all to listen to what the Bible says. It says this, Unto the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says this, he, he praises, he commends the church of Ephesus. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and thou hast not bear them which are evil. This is a good church. And hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. I have born and hath patience and my namesake hath labored and have not fainted. Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Left thy first love. You know the thing is is why do we do what we do? We should do what we do because we love God. That should be our motivation. We should continue to strive to glorify God and, and, and to honor him and to make disciples. Why? Because we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, it's interesting. One has written this. <clears throat> There's a distinction between leaving and losing is important. Something can be lost quite by accident. You can lose something by accident, right? But leaving is a deliberate act. Though it may not happen suddenly as well, when we lose something, we don't know where to find it. But when we leave something, we know where to find it. So, in other words, they, they lost their first love. And it also mentions that they hated the, ne the deeds of the uh, Nicolaitans. They have, met, they have been heresy, uh, it, uh, immorality, idolatry. It might have been hierarchy, hierarchy, hierarchy. I remember when I, I was in a, in, a, in a background called Methodist Episcopal Church, okay? And uh, um, we, this fellow came in to a meeting in our, our local church. See, the denomination, see, we didn't own our own building, okay? The denomination owned it, okay? We didn't own it, the denomination. But the guy came in, and I, I'm like 14 years old again, and, I'm, and, I, and, and we don't know this man who he is. We don't know who he is. Uh, I, I don't know if he's superintendent. I don't know what he was, bishop. I don't know. But he, he said this, and, and there's like 40 or 50 people there, okay? 30, 40, 50 people. And he says, you people need to be doing this. And he said, just like that. 
Now, I'm like a young teenager. I thought, I don't know much, but I don't think that's the way to talk to adults. <laughs> I'm serious. I, thought, I don't think that's the way. And sure enough, and I could see, and it's funny. You ever, get, you ever see older people get mad? When you're a teenager, it's sort of funny. <laughs> no, because they were getting mad. I'm serious, they were getting mad. So you ought to be doing this. You ought to be, you need, you need to do this and this and that. And I thought, whoa. Well, what it was was he was, you know, he was the hierarchy. He was the hierarchy. And I thought, phew, wait, something wrong here. And, and by the way, you didn't have any choice of who your pastors were. You had no choice. They were assigned to you. These things happen. I'm telling you, it goes on, okay? All right? You didn't have a choice. You could probably get rid of the guy, if you, but it would be hard. But that's, I'm serious. That's how, I mean, it's like, whoa, you know? And um, <clears throat> so anyhow... But what are we to do? Okay, here it is in verse 7. He that hath an ear, and I can't hear real well because I have both ears impacted with wax. Hopefully I got them removed, the wax removed on Friday. But he that hath ears to hear, let him what? Hear. Listen to the Bible. Do what the Bible says. It's very basic. And then he says the same thing in Revelation. You know, the, you know these verses real well. I'm, you're not cold, you're not hot. I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be hot, but not in between. Not the lukewarmness, okay? No, be committed to God. Go, go by the scripture. Uh, and then listen. Uh, obey. Hear you hear to adhere. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So let's charge onward here. So <clears throat> we say the rescue of God's people. Here we have in verses 14 through uh, uh, 18 to 14. But God is always, see that's the thing is that we always want to give hope. We always want to give hope. We can look to the Lord. He is the Lord. He does not change. I am the Lord. I don't change. Notice what he says. Therefore behold the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall be no more be said, the Lord liveth and brought us up the children of Israel out of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whether he hath driven them. And I will bring them again into the land and I gave unto their fathers. So there's always hope with the Lord. So in other words, remember the theme. Jeremiah's thematic. Okay, judgment, yes, but God is going to, God has a future for Israel. He has a future for the people of God, all right? And then, um, as we see here, uh, the results of rejecting God's truth, okay? Behold, I will send many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them, and after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For mine eyes are upon their ways, they are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from my eyes. At first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land and have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of the testable and abominable things. Now some people think too, some of the scholars think, well that's really, yes that's about Judah, God bringing judgment, but also any people. He's going to, the same thing can be said about Babylon. They reject, you know, they reject the true God, they follow their false gods, going to bring judgment on them. But notice what Jeremiah does with all this bad news, okay? And nobody likes to hear it, just bad news, okay? But notice what he says, God's might. Notice what he says, the rescue, the result of God's might. O Lord, my strength, here he says, O Lord, my strength. And what does he say? <clears throat> he says, 
and my fortress, my, my fortress, what does he say? And my refuge in the day of affliction. He looks to the Lord, Lord, I need you. You're the Lord. You're my help. You're my fortress. You're my power, okay? <clears throat> You're my power, and you are my portion. And yes, Lord, you are my protection. You're my power. You're my protection. You're my portion. And he says, and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the end of the earth and shall surely our fathers have inherited their lies and vanities therein. There is no prophet. Shall a man make gods unto himself that are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, and I will cause them to know my hand and my might, that they shall know my name is the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. You've heard, you know, L-O-R-D. Notice back up at verse 19. He says, O Lord, this is, that's the God, the eternal self-existing one. L-O-R-D, capitalized. Technically, it's called the Tetragrammaton. So, what? Tetragrammaton? It sounds like Hebrew. Well, it is. But, <laughs> no, no, but, okay. Well, no, Tetragrammaton. It's the four. Yo, hey, wow, hey. Okay. Do you ever notice, if you ever say the yo, you're saying a Hebrew letter. Hey, that's a Hebrew. I'm serious. That's a Hebrew letter. Yo, hey, yo, hey, wow, hey. Okay. So, it's the, it's the covenant name of God. Like, it's the, it's the name that Moses said, well, uh, like, uh, like, who do I say that sent you, sent, sent me? Uh, I am that I am. Yo, hey, wow, hey. Okay. All right. And, and, and they would reverence the name of God. They would actually say another word, Adonai. They didn't, you know, they would say, so you are my strength. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. In other words, he looks to the Lord for help. He looks to the Lord for strength. He looks to the Lord for guidance and help and strength. Uh, it says there, uh, just real quickly, and I'll, I'm, you've been so attentive. Then answered and spake unto me, this is from Zechariah, saith, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the God of the universe. How are we going to live for God? By the, by the strength of God, by the power of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my what? Strength and my what? Redeemer. Okay? Uh, I remember, for example, over here in Parkhouse, uh, we have the sunshine service there tomorrow. Thank John, thank John and uh, Steve. Thank you, fellas, for yesterday uh, sunshine service. They had it brandy wine. I heard one person made a profession of faith. Praise the Lord for that. But I remember years ago when when the lady asked me to say the prayer uh, for what they call it invocation. It's a fancy word, the introductory prayer. Thank the Lord for the food. Okay, community volunteers. And she said this. She said, oh, Pastor Colton, I just want you to know we have some Jewish people. I said, well, that's fine. That's wonderful. So anyhow, so I thank the Lord for our country. I thank the Lord for our community. I thank the Lord for our volunteers. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, I said, and Lord, in the words of King David of Israel, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. 
in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay. So they can't, oh, he mentioned Jesus. You know, I go, yeah. Oh, but how about King David? Oh, yeah, King David. Okay. okay. I always say any friend of Moses is a friend of mine. But <laughs> no, because he wrote him, I say, uh, happy Hanukkah. I'm not offended. Somebody says to me, happy Hanukkah. Like, oh, so what do you mean? You know? And by the way, most Jewish people, they, they don't mind just saying Merry Christmas. They, you know, they, they understand it. But then Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Without me, ye can do what? Nothing. Nothing, right? We need God all the time. We need to be practicing the presence of God. That's what we need to do. God loves you. He loves me. He loves his children. Just like you love your kids, you love your grandkids, you love them, you want the best for them. You know, when my daughter Grace says to me, Dad, I love you. You know what I say to her? I say, Grace, I love you sometimes too. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I just say that. No, but can you imagine if God says that? Well, I love you. Well, oh Lord, we love you. Well, I love you sometimes too. <laughs> I'm glad he loves us no matter what. You see what I'm saying? And, and uh, th thank the Lord for that, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful book of Jeremiah. Lord, you're serious about sin. You hate sin. You hate compromise. And uh, Lord, uh, we need to be more committed to you every day. Help us to be more committed to you every day. Sold out to you. Help us surrender all and all to you we owe, Lord. And just thank you for these dear, precious people who have taken time, effort, and energy. Bless them with a great week ahead. Help us to, to honor you. Help us to do all we can to see boys and girls and teens and men and women come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and help us all to grow in the faith and become disciples. Learn from him, follow him, and learn from him. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks.